Chapter 31. Nocturnal Nesson. It had been an exhausting couple of days, physically, mentally, and emotionally. All the stress of the last 48 hours had finally caught up with Martin Nesson. His mind and body needed rest. No matter how great the danger he was in, how uncertain his future, or how strange his current surroundings, at last Nesson would get some much-needed rest. His was a dreamless sleep that night. It was, quite possibly, the best sleep of his life, or at least in recent memory. Unfortunately for Martin Nesson, it only lasted four hours. Yet when he woke, feeling groggy but surprisingly refreshed, Martin assumed he'd slept through the night and into the early morning. Much to his dismay, when he turned to look at the clock on the nightstand, it read 12.23 a.m., he soon realized the reason for his waking, as he suddenly had the strong urge to use the bathroom. Nesson lay in the bed, trying to convince himself that he didn't need to get up, and that he could wait until morning to empty his bladder. He knew, of course, that he could not win this battle against his bladder, but Martin, like all other slumberers who find themselves half awake in the middle of the night, was not thinking rationally. It was as if only a small part of his brain was functioning, and that part did not want to be inconvenienced by an unexpected trip to the toilet. After a good five minutes of tossing and turning, Nesson finally relented and got up out of bed to search for the bathroom. Philippa, he remembered, had pointed it out to him, but at the time he had only one thing on the brain, sleep. The apartment, though, was small. Martin was not worried about finding the toilet, only about accidentally waking up poor Philippa in the process. He'd make sure to be especially quiet so as not to disturb her. Nesson carefully opened the bedroom door and stepped out into the hallway. He knew he had walked through here to go to bed, but he did not recognize this space. It was completely foreign to him. Unsure where to go, he walked down the hall toward where he assumed the main living room was. As he made his way in the dark, however... He noticed a small sliver of light shining out from under another door in the hallway, to his right. Maybe Philippa was still up after all. Nesson crept in the direction of the door, careful not to step too loudly. Upon reaching the door, Nesson saw that it wasn't completely shut, but cracked open ever so slightly. Is this Philippa's room? Why is she up so late? Quite the night owl, Nesson thought. His curiosity getting the better of him, he stuck his face close to the door and peeked in the room. Philippa was sitting in her bed, still wearing the same clothes she had worn earlier in the day. She had a folder and pen in one hand and appeared to be talking to herself. She was speaking in hushed tones, making it hard to decipher what she was saying. Nesson wondered as he watched what in the hell was going on. Was she just thinking out loud? Or was she a bit delusional? He didn't know for sure, but the whole scenario gave him a strange feeling. That feeling grew even worse a moment later when Martin realized that Philippa wasn't talking to herself, but to another person in that very room. Nesson watched in surprise as a man appeared in front of Philippa and then sat down next to her. He must have been outside my line of sight, he told himself. But then surprise turned to disbelief and horror as he recognized the face of the man in Philippa's room. It was none other than Marcus Ingram. Martin Nesson's blood ran cold. 
He was here, in the apartment, just on the other side of the door. A familiar shiver ran up Nissen's spine. What on earth is he doing here? And why is he talking to Philippa? Nesson felt paralyzed with fear. Did he turn and run? Did he call the police? Did he lock himself in his bedroom until morning? In the midst of this mental crisis, Nesson heard Marcus Ingram speak. His voice was a little easier to hear than Philippa's, but still a bit muffled. Nesson moved his ear closer to the crack in the door, hoping to hear just a little of what the two of them were talking about. I suppose so, yes, Marcus was saying. I questioned him yesterday, I think another day, and he'll tell us everything we want to know. And in the meantime, Philippa asked, what do you want me to do? I think you should stay here and keep a low profile, Marcus instructed. What should I tell Martin Nesson, she asked. He'll want to know if there's a plan. I don't imagine he'll be content sitting round here all day. Tell him he'll be safest if he lays low for the next few days. He seems a nervous enough fellow. That should give us enough time with Penderwinkle. Once I get him talking, we can move on from there. Until then, however, we need to keep nosy little Martin Nesson occupied. The last thing I need is more people taking interest in Penderwinkle's sudden disappearance, Marcus said. Martin almost couldn't believe what he was hearing. Perry was alive. That, at least, was welcome news. But it sounded as if Ingram was holding him somewhere against his will. And what about Bernie Dotrice? No updates? inquired Ingram. Like I told you, I grabbed what I could from her place, but it looked like she'd not been in there in days. There was food rotting on the counter when we arrived. It was as if she just up and left and never came back. Penderwinkle, I think, said Marcus. They worked together for quite a few years before I arrived in the service. If there was someone he'd have reached out to in New York, it would have been her. I'm sure of it. And the folders I grabbed from her desk were filled with information on Penderwinkle, the murder, and you, said Philippa. My guess is that Bernadette Dotrice was doing some investigating of her own after you first contacted her. No doubt Penderwinkle paid her a visit, and maybe there's our answer as to why Dotrice left so suddenly and never came back. Ingram said suspiciously. Again, Nesson couldn't believe his ears. What were they suggesting, that Perry did something to this Dotrice person? Absurd. If anything, Martin would think that Ingram was the culprit of this woman's disappearance. He'd already kidnapped one person. But then, why would he be pretending that he knew nothing about this woman's disappearance? What game was he playing? It would appear that he and Philippa were working together, but was there a chance that he was keeping secrets from her? A double-cross, perhaps? What time is it, by the way? Ingram asked offhandedly. It was then that Martin Nesson remembered, all of a sudden, where he was. He was keenly aware of how little stood between him and Marcus Ingram. All the man had to do was turn and open the door to see Nesson standing in the hallway. Martin did not know what to do. Should he stay and try to hear more, or should he go back into his room and try to fall back asleep? Emptying his bladder now felt far less urgent. Or should he attempt to quietly sneak out of the apartment? Where he would go, he had no idea. He couldn't return home now that Philippa and probably Marcus knew where he lived, and the office certainly wasn't the safest place, as poor Penderwinkle had learned only a few days before. Marcus Ingram continued speaking. I'll stay another twenty or thirty minutes, then I should head back. I don't want Perry left alone for too long. Who knows what he'll get up to, especially once he realizes I'm not there. 
So, Ingram was heading back to wherever he was keeping Parry. This gave Nesson an idea, though he knew it was ill-advised. If he could find out where Penderwinkle was being held, he could notify the authorities, or better yet, Cranley. They could send someone in to find Perry and arrest Marcus. Maybe then, all of this business could be over, and Martin Nesson could return to the normal, predictable routines of his regular life. Martin, he thought, you're a genius. And with that, Nesson backed away from the cracked door and silently retraced his steps back into the spare bedroom. It took only a moment to grab his suitcase. Just to be safe, he used a few pillows and pieces of clothing from his suitcase and stuffed them under the blankets. In the darkness, it was almost passable as the shape of someone sleeping under the covers. Hopefully no one would check in on him until morning, at which point he would be long gone. Having finished his business in the room, he carefully crept out into the hallway, closing the bedroom door silently behind him. Philippa and Marcus's voices could still be heard as Nesson tiptoed past Philippa's bedroom and into the living room. Thankfully, the large windows in the living room let in enough light that Nesson could make his way toward the front door without fear of tripping over any furniture. When he reached the front door, he removed the deadbolt, unlocked the door, then slowly, almost comically so, and with the utmost care, cracked the door open. To his great relief, there was no creak, and he easily slipped out into the hall before closing it silently behind him. Nesson had escaped. He looked to the left and then to the right. To the right he saw the stairs leading down to the lobby. He took off for them at a slow jog, careful still to tread lightly until he made it down the first flight of steps, and then he ran, no longer concerned if people heard him or not. In moments he was out on the street, there was no one else out on the sidewalks, only the occasional car or cab passing by. Nissen turned to the left and ran up the block, toward what appeared to be a more heavily trafficked street. Near the intersection of the two streets was a restaurant with a large dumpster and pile of trash cans resting on the side of the building. Martin tucked himself discreetly behind the dumpster, so he'd not be seen by anyone walking by, but he'd still have a good view of Philippa's apartment. And then he waited. Chapter 32, Martin's Mission Just as Martin Nesson was beginning to fear that something had gone wrong, that Philippa and Marcus had discovered his absence, Marcus Ingram exited the apartment building and headed over to a car. It was Philippa's car, Nesson realized. Knowing it was only a matter of seconds before Marcus got into the car and drove off, Nesson jumped up from his spot and ran to the busy street to his left, searching for a cab. He stuck his arm out and waved frantically, hoping that this gesture would grab the attention of any tired cabbie looking for a fare. Cars passed to his left, but none of them were taxicabs. Still, he waved his hand, hoping beyond hope that one of them would turn out to be a cab. He turned and looked back over his shoulder toward the apartment, about two blocks down the street. He could see the lights going on in the car. Any second, Ingram would be taking off. If Nesson missed him... His plan would be ruined. Looking back desperately at the road, there was still no cab in sight, no matter how wildly he waved his arm. Just as he began to lose hope, he heard a honk from behind him. Nesson turned and saw a beat-up old taxicab coming from the other direction. It sat, with its turn signal on, waiting for a break in traffic so it could turn onto Nesson's street. The cab was coming to pick him up, and right in the nick of time. 
Martinesson nearly jumped for joy. The cab turned across two lanes of traffic and pulled up in front of Nesson. Wasting no time, Martin unceremoniously tossed in his suitcase, jumped into the back seat, and shouted a phrase at the driver he'd only ever heard in movies. Follow that car, he said, pointing at the pair of taillights three blocks down. Asking no questions and with a little hesitation, the driver hit the gas, a grin on his grizzled old face. I love it when people say that, he said. Favorite part of my job. They were gaining on Marcus fast, and Nesson was starting to grow nervous. It would be no good if they tipped him off. That would defeat the purpose of all of this. If you could follow that car, but not too close. I don't exactly want them to know they're being followed, if you catch my drift, Nesson said, using a phrase that he was pretty sure he'd never said before in his life. He felt like he was playing a character in an action movie. You got it, pal, the driver said, easing up on the gas so that the car was still a couple blocks ahead of them. I know it's none of my business what you're getting up to, but... Are you some kind of private eye or something? The man asked earnestly. Martin had to stifle a laugh. Me? A private investigator? That's rich. Then again, it seemed to Martin like a decent enough cover story. Besides, if he wasn't a P.I., what other explanation could he give for secretly following someone through the streets of of middle-of-nowhere Brooklyn at 1 a.m.? I am, he said as casually as he could, following a lead. Just business as usual, nothing too interesting. Can't say much about the case, of course, privacy and all that. You understand. Oh, of course, the man replied, as if this wasn't the first time he'd done this kind of work. I understand. You see a lot in this business. Learn that sometimes it's best not to ask too many questions, I find. Care to listen to the radio? Sure, Martin said, not really caring either way. The radio came on, staticky and garbled at first, until the cab driver settled the dial on a station playing some low-key jazz music. Is all right? he asked. It's perfect, Martin replied as the sound washed over him and he relaxed into the back seat. They drove the next twenty minutes without either of them saying a word. The only sound was that of the engine and the jazz coming through the speakers. Nesson could see the cab driver had become quite focused now that they weren't talking as he kept a watchful eye on the car ahead, trying to maintain just enough distance that the driver wouldn't realize he was being followed. Occasionally, the cabbie would let another car, sometimes two, pass between them and the car they were trailing, but he never lost sight of the old Buick Lesabre. This man had not been lying earlier, Nesson surmised. He clearly had some practice in tailing other vehicles, as he was quite good at it. After another ten minutes, the driver slowed down, giving more room between the two vehicles. We can't get too close now. We'll have to hang back a bit if you don't want him to spot us, he said. This area is mostly residential and there's not too much traffic around at this time of night. A yellow cab's going to stick out like a sore thumb in this neighborhood. Nesson looked out the windows, taking in the rows of houses in the surrounding blocks. He could see the subway a few blocks further down the road. It was one of those above-ground trains. The subway car was passing by as he looked up, though he couldn't tell what train line it was. This area felt nothing like the city he knew. It certainly didn't look anything like the cramped, bustling metropolis of Manhattan. Where are we exactly? he asked the driver. I'm almost certain I've never been here before. Are we still in New York? This isn't Jersey, is it? I don't remember crossing any bridges. It's Gravesend, the driver said. Can't imagine any reason you'd ever have been here unless, of course, you lived here. Still in Brooklyn, though, by Sheepshead Bay, and there's Brighton Beach to the south. 
Brighton Beach he'd heard of, though he'd never been. If Nesson's memory served correctly, that was in the southeastern corner of Brooklyn, almost in Long Island. No wonder he hadn't recognised the area. He may as well have been in a different city. The car turned left down a residential street. As they approached the turn, they saw a sign that read Dead End. The cab driver dimmed the lights and pulled over to the right side of the road. Looks like we've arrived, he said quietly, turning down the music as he watched the car pull into a driveway at the end of the cul-de-sac. Can't get much closer than this or they'll see us for sure. Nesson watched the tiny silhouette of Marcus Ingram in the driver's seat as he opened the car door and the interior light came on. The man exited the car, heading up the driveway and into one of the nearly identical-looking houses. Well, you won out or you got what you're looking for, pal? The cabbie inquired. Almost, I think, Martin said. Would you mind waiting just another couple of minutes? I'd like to run over and jot down the house number and then we can leave. Sure thing, pal. Where you want to go after this? The cabbie asked. Back to Manhattan if you can take me there, said Nissen. The cabbie's eyes went wide in surprise. That'll be quite a fair, he said, though there was a delighted smile on the man's face. You sure about that? Positive, Nissen said, hopping out of the car. I'll be right back. It took only two minutes for Martin Nesson to make it to the driveway where Marcus Ingram had parked the car. A mailbox stood on the sidewalk adjacent to the driveway and Martin crept over until he was close enough to read the address. He committed it to memory and retreated back to the waiting cab. Do you have a pen and paper? he asked the cabbie as he crawled into the back seat. I've got a pen, he said as he searched the front seat and then the glove compartment. How's a napkin work? That'll do fine, Nesson said, taking both and scribbling down the house and street number before folding it up and placing it in his pocket. He'd done it. You get what you came for? The driver asked as he started the engine and flipped the lights back on. Yes, Martin Nesson replied. I got exactly what I wanted. The taxicab made a slow U-turn, pointing it back in the direction of Manhattan, and as Nesson started his journey back into the city, he felt... For the first time since all this business had began, a sense of peace. He felt, dare he say it, hopeful. Things may actually stand a chance of returning again to normal. Nesson couldn't help but smile as he leaned back into his seat and enjoyed the ride. Chapter 33. Nesson Notifies Knowing that a return to his apartment would not be safe, Nesson had the cab driver drop him off just south of Central Park in Times Square. The area was a tourist trap, and so there were bound to be plenty of hotel rooms available in the area. Martin finally found a hotel and checked in around 2 a.m. The moment he reached his room, he collapsed onto his bed and did not wake again until late morning. When he finally did awaken, well past 11, he had missed any chance of getting the free continental breakfast in the lobby downstairs. He'd be lucky if they were still serving coffee, but he didn't care. He felt refreshed and re-energized. A weight had been lifted from his shoulders, and all he had to do now was call up this cranly friend of Perry's and let him handle the rest. Nesson knew he'd still have to lay low for a while, until they apprehended Marcus Ingram, but if that meant sitting around and relaxing in a hotel room for a few days, that was fine by him. But first things first, he'd need to find Cranley's phone number. Nesson thought he'd try calling the office to see if the man had left a number where Perry could reach him. Yes, that's a good plan, thought Nesson. Then I won't have to risk running by the office in person, in case Marcus or Philippa are already looking for me. 
After a quick shower and a trip down to the hotel lobby to grab a cup of coffee, Nissen returned to his room, having found a couple poppy seed mini muffins still sitting out on a breakfast tray from earlier that morning. Picking up the phone, he rang his office. Hello, Travis, Martin said when someone picked up on the other end. This is Martin Nissen. Listen, I'm out of office today, but I was wondering if you or someone else there could do me a favor. I'm wondering if a Mr. Cranley called and left a number at which he could be reached. He would have been calling for Mr. Pendlewinkle a couple of days ago. Could you check for me? Martin waited as Travis Vandenberg put him on hold and went to check on the matter. Nesson lay back down, stretching out on the queen-sized bed. His bed at home was only a fall. Sleeping on a queen-sized mattress felt like the height of luxury for Martin Nesson. Maybe when he returned to his apartment in a few days, he'd look into getting a queen. The voice came back on the line. It was Travis again, and much to Nesson's delight, he had found a callback number for Mr. Cranley. Martin opened the nightstand drawer, pushed aside the phone book and Gideon Bible, and pulled out a large notepad with the hotel's letterhead. He jotted down the number and thanked Travis profusely before hanging up. He'd got the number. Martin immediately picked up the phone and punched in the number he'd been given. It was an international number, so he charged the call to his room and hoped and prayed that someone would answer on the other end. The phone rang, and rang, and rang. Three rings, then four. On the fifth ring, Nesson lowered the phone from his ear and went to hang up. But right as he was about to hang up, he heard a voice come out of the phone. He jerked it back up to his ear. Hello, Perry, is that you? asked the voice in a concerned tone. Are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Martin responded enthusiastically. Mr. Cranley? Who is this? the voice asked. How did you get this number? Mr. Cranley, it's me, Martin Nesson. Who? Cranley inquired, clearly not recognizing the voice. Martin Nesson, sir. I'm an associate of Mr. Penderwinkle's. That's how I got this number. We've spoken before. The other day, in fact, when Perry was... Well, when Mr. Penderwinkle disappeared, Nesson said. Yes, I remember you. What do you want? Has Penderwinkle contacted you? He demanded. No, not exactly. Another of your agents contacted me, though. Nesson explained, but I'm sure you already know that. Agent? What agent? You must be mistaken, Cranley insisted. Her name is Philippa, but she wouldn't give me her last name. She said she'd spoken to you just yesterday, I think, Martin tried to explain. There was a long pause on the line. Mr. Nesson, I sent no agent to assist you, and I have no agents named Philippa. Martin Nesson was floored by this revelation. Then who is this woman and where has she come from, Martin wondered. Well, whoever she is, she claims to work for you and she seems to know a fair amount about your agency. Unfortunately, I just learned last night that she's working with Marcus Ingram, Nesson revealed. Ingram? How can you be sure? demanded Cranley. Well, sir, that's why I called. I saw her talking with Ingram last night and they were discussing Perry. I think Ingram is holding him somewhere. And how did you find yourself privy to this conversation? Cranley asked suspiciously. I was staying at Philippa's house, and late in the night, after they thought I'd fallen asleep, Ingram came over to her house and they talked. But that's not all, said Martin proudly. I was able to follow Ingram back to his own house, where I'm pretty sure he's holding Mr. Penderwinkle, and I was able to write down the address. Another silence on the other end. Mr. Nesson, do you have the address on you? Yes, it's right here, he said, then read it over the phone to Mr. Cranley. It's in southeastern Brooklyn, in a neighborhood called Gravesend, Martin informed him. Very good. 
This could prove quite invaluable if this checks out, Mr. Nissen. I thank you. I'm sure Perry Penderwinkle thanks you as well. But I must urge you, please do not go back there again and do not try to make contact with either Marcus Ingram or the other woman, Philippa. They are both very dangerous and you and Mr. Penderwinkle's safety may depend on it. Let the service take it from here. And I suggest that you go away for a few days. If Marcus Ingram has even the slightest inkling that you know his or Penderwinkle's whereabouts, I fear what he may do to you. He is a dangerous man, Mr. Nesson. I'd hate for you to end up another one of his victims, Cranley warned. Don't worry, Mr. Cranley. I'll do as I'm told. The last thing I want is to get myself further entangled in this web. You can count on me to stay out of trouble and lay low, Martin assured him. Very good. Thank you for your help, Mr. Nesson. If we need anything else, I'll be in touch. There was a click and the call ended. Martin Nesson had made the call and the deed was done. This was no longer his problem. His adventure, he thought, had finally come to an end.